podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. The first Sunday of Advent, every single year, is about an ending. You actually have two choices of gospel readings in our modern lectionary. One is the ending of Jesus' earthly ministry, where he enters triumphantly into Jerusalem and thus begins Holy Week, ending, of course, with his crucifixion and then his resurrection from the dead. The alternate reading, of course, is the ending of the whole world. The grand wrapping up of the universe and the earth that Peter talks about in our epistle lesson for today. The dissolving of the heavenly bodies and the earth itself and restoration of creation to be one in which righteousness can dwell. And so we talked last Sunday about God coming down and what that might mean. And we realized how important it is for God to come down first before he comes as judge as someone with whom we can relate so that when he does come as judge, it is as one to save us, not to frighten us. And so when God first rends the heavens and comes down, he comes in the kindly face of Jesus as a baby, a tween, a young man, a preacher, coming to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. And finally, as one bloodied and supposedly beaten on a cross, who even in his resurrection appears with scars on his wrists and feet and a hole in his side, a God with whom we can identify, a God who has suffered, a God who has paid for our sins. Nonetheless, even as we enter into the last parts of Advent and prepare to celebrate Christmas and keep our baby Jesuses ready to put into our manger scenes, there are still those who want God to rend the heavens and come down to bring order, to bring justice, and to wipe out our enemies once and for all. If only God would rend the heavens and come down, as we heard last week. Back in 1812, the U.S. naval forces defeated our own forces in what would prove a decisive battle, the Battle of Lake Erie, which allowed the United States to reconquer Detroit and push back British and native advances. And as the Battle of Lake Erie concluded, the U.S. Commandant wrote the U.S. Major General William Henry Harrison saying, We have met the enemy, and he is ours. That was the phrase that satirist Walt Kenny turned into an anti-pollution Earth Day message, we have met the enemy and he is us. And that's what we're talking about, right? That's the mistake in wanting God to rend the heavens and come down to bring justice the first time, to come down and defeat our enemies the first time, because it turns out that the enemies of God includes us. We are the ones who have rejected his will for our lives. We are the ones who have turned on his desire for us. And it's why the world is, in no small part, in the situation that it's in. And that is not how God wants to meet us, humans, the first time. Advent shifts, as it always does, in its second week from the end to the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the oiangelion or euangelion. That's what we translate as gospel or Godspell, the good words from God. You means good in Greek. It's where we get euthanasia, good death, or eulogy, good words, or euphoria, which actually means a good bearing or good carrying. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a good announcement brought to us by a messenger. And it actually was a Roman word before it was used in our New Testament. Encyclopedia Britannica says that the classical Greek word euangelion, good message, means a reward for bringing of good news or the good news itself. And the emperor cult particularly, in which the Roman emperor was venerated, as the spirit and protector and lord of the empire, the term took on a religious meaning, the announcement of the appearance or accession to the throne of a ruler. And so in 9th century BC, a calendar inscription wrote, since providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she will filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. That's where the word gospel was first used, when the emperor of Rome took over a province and established it as part of his kingdom. I'm in charge now. Rome sets the rules. We determine what gets to happen and what happens to the citizens of this place. That's what we mean by gospel, according to the gospel writers, the announcement of a king coming to establish his kingdom. Now, the problem with all that terminology, talking about kings and kingdoms, isn't just that we are democracies, even though we are a constitutional monarchy. We still like to think that we get to choose our government. We don't want somebody just put in charge over us by virtue of who their mom or dad was. And the reason we think that way is because kings and queens are not always gospel. They're not always good news. Ask Asterix and Obelix about the coming of the Roman Empire to Gaul. Not fans. Ask the Britons about William the Conqueror coming to bring a new kingdom to the British Isles. Or ask native Canadians about Queen Victoria and her descendants. Ancient Israel wanted a king. They rejected God as their king the first time. They wanted a normal king just like everybody else. And the prophet Samuel said, do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what human kings will do to you? All the elders of Israel gathered together, according to 1 Samuel 8, came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old. Ever had anyone say that to you? <laughs> and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We just want to be like everybody else. 
And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and heaven forbid also your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Every single time you and I choose to appoint our own kings, choose to appoint our own gods, it does not turn out well. And it turns out to not be gospel at all. Not an announcement of good news, but in fact, only the beginning of taxes or much, much worse. We choose to go it alone. And when you go it alone, guess what? You end up alone. We choose to reject God's design for the family and find our entire society to be a bunch of friendless people with no connections. We choose to do what we want, because after all, we want to be free, and then are surprised when we get in trouble and there is no one there to lend a hand. That's what we do when we appoint our own kings. And it turns out to not be gospel at all. Fortunately, we are not here to celebrate the kings that we have invented for ourselves, or elected, or appointed, or received by inheritance. We are here to celebrate the king that God sent us, not the one we deserve, but the one we needed. And that is precisely why Mark begins his gospel by saying, this is the good news, the gospel, the euangelion of the coming of Jesus. It is a good gospel. And we hear the goodness of that gospel from the very first verses of Mark's good news. First, why is John the Baptist out in the wilderness? To tell everybody that the king is coming and going to wipe them out? No, but to invite them to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. He is announcing that when this king comes, it will be to give gifts. It's precisely why Advent and Christmas are tied so closely together. This king is coming not to ask his subjects for their obedience, but to offer them free forgiveness of their 
disobedience. Secondly, John the Baptist says that when God comes as king, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And if you were an Old Testament Jew, you knew what the Holy Spirit was given to do. It makes people priests. It makes people prophets. And yes, it even makes them royalty. This king, when he comes, is not going to stand apart from everyone, but take all the gifts that he has and pass them on to undeserving enemies. He will meet the enemy, he will know that it is us, and he will go ahead and bestow the gifts anyway. Second reason why it is a good news. Nonetheless, there's something inside us that says that when the real king comes, surely it will not go well for us. Surely there will be debts to pay. Surely there will be a dressing down. There will be order and justice. Enemies will be wiped out. And when God meets his enemies, it might still turn out to be us. And that is why God sends John the Baptist. Because he has to prepare the way for a king that we would never have expected. The kind of king we are not used to. The kind of king that we wish we could have but never seem to find. Because we're used to kings who are born in fancy palaces, have all the finest silks to wear, the best food to eat for every meal. God sends us a king who's laid on straw in a manger. We are used to kings who sit above their people and demand respect and obedience and, above all, loyalty. This king chooses to be baptized himself in order that we might know that his first loyalty is to sinners like you and I. We are used to kings who use their subjects as cannon fodder, the king's that Samuel warned about in the reading we just had. This king sacrifices himself on a cross to save his subjects. We are used to kings who, once they ascend to their throne, forget all about the little people, right? Two, three, four years down the road, they cannot even remember what it's like to be you and I. This king promised to be with us always even to the end of the age. We're used to kings who demand that we wash their feet. This king robed himself in a towel to wash ours. And that, my dear Christian friends, is why this is good news, this king. And it is why John the Baptist has to be sent first to prepare the way. Because God has seen the enemy... He knows that it is us, and he loved us still, even to death on a cross. That we who were opposed to him might become his friends, allies, subjects, priests, royalty, members of his household. That he might rule over us in a way that no earthly king ever would. And so blessed be our king forever and ever, for he has baptized us with his spirit and saved us from our sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org 
Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.